Well, friends, I'm going to talk to you about something very basic this evening. So if you have a Bible, please open it at Mark chapter 4 and this parable of the sower, which is found in verses 1 to 20. Basic things need saying. Uh, the elders have kindly arranged for me to be in a hotel this weekend so I can visit you and not have to stay in a family. And in the bathroom, there is a, a radiator, a special radiator where you can hang your towels to dry them. And on the wall, just above the radiator, are three words. Uh, radiators are hot. I thought everybody knew radiators are hot. But that's basic, isn't it? But some people, of course, forget radiators are hot. So they put their hand on it and you don't want to do that. Basic things need saying, because basic things aren't said, then we forget. I'm driving down here, down the Thornhill Road. There are a number of traffic islands in the middle of the road. And each one of them has a little arrow on it telling you to go to the left of the traffic island. Well, I think we all know, don't we, that we drive on the left in, in Britain? Do we? Do we all know that? Good. And why would you want to drive on the right of the traffic island anyway? But in case you forget, the most basic thing of all, just a simple arrow, says you go that way. Um, because if you do forget, you could be having a very nasty collision. In fact, there was a collision on, as I came down this evening. Basic things need saying. Now, there's nothing in the Bible more basic than the parable of the sower. If this is the Bible, then what is the center of the Bible? Well, all the Old Testament is looking forward to the coming of Christ, and all the New Testament is talking about the coming of Christ. So here we have the center of the Bible. Here we have the ministry of Christ, and we have his life, and we have his miracles, and we have his teaching. Now, most of Christ's teaching is done in parables. But he says... Do you not understand this parable? Talking about the parable of the sower. We read that this evening. How then can you understand all the parables? In other words, if you don't understand the parable of the sower, you don't understand the teaching of Christ. If you don't understand the teaching of Christ, um, really, really, you're, you're going to really misunderstand Scripture altogether. There's really nothing more basic than the, the parable of the sower. So it's all very basic tonight, and because it's so basic, I've got a great title for the message. It's called Seven Basics. I think we can remember that too. Seven Basics. First of all, number one, there is such a thing as the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. Jesus tells the parable. The disciples ask a question. They ask him about the parables about that particular parable and he said to them to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God ladies and gentlemen Christian friends non-Christians unconverted folks still present there there is such a thing as the kingdom of God it is Jesus Christ's favorite subject he talks about the kingdom of God more than anything else at all. 164 times he talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. 
It's not an earthly kingdom. You won't find it on a map. My kingdom is not of this world, he said. It's a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is within you. It's inside you. And there are men and women and boys and girls all over the world who are in the kingdom of God. So they're members of their own kingdom, their own nation, but they're citizens also of another kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, a non-earthly kingdom. What's happened to them? What's happened to them is heaven has come into their hearts, God has come into their souls, into their lives, I'd even say into their bodies. They are ruled by God. They are under his governorship. They're under his kingship. They live under his laws. They desire to please him. He has bought them and they belong to him. And there is such a thing as the kingdom of God. How do you get into it? The first message Jesus ever preached was this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And all over the world today, there are men and women who are repenting, have repented, are repenting, and continuing to repent. Repentance is grief over everything that offends God. And yet, looking away to him for mercy and kindness and forgiveness. It's turning your back on that and turning your face to him every day. It starts on the first day. It continues on the second day of the Christian life. It goes on in the third day of the Christian life. And it goes through every day of the Christian life because the day of your conversion, the day of your first repenting, is not just a red letter on the calendar. It's the first red letter day of all the calendar, all the calendar days which will follow. So every day, if you've been converted, the same thing is happening to you day after day, day after day, day after day. And everybody who is repenting is a member of the kingdom of God, and everyone who isn't repenting isn't. Repent, he said, and believe the gospel. And the gospel tells me I can never be put right with the God I've offended. I can't do it anyway. But God loves sinners very much. He sent the Savior. He gave the Savior. And the Savior gives eternal life, everlasting life. He gives forgiveness. He gives peace with God. He gives pardon. He gives a place in God's family. He died for sinners on the cross. Their sin was put to his account. He rose for sinners on the third day so they might have a living savior, a living person, a living force from that person in their lives. There's a spiritual kingdom called the kingdom of God and the Christian church exists to keep this great truth in mind and to proclaim it to all the world. You're either in the kingdom or you're not. That's the first basic. Number two, 
The kingdom of God is extended by human effort. That's what the parable's about. Verse 3, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. And the kingdom of God is extended by human effort. And it's a lot of effort. I made similar sort of remarks this morning. Now, sowing wasn't an easy business. First of all, you go to the field. And by hand, you clear away all the stones. Then you go back to the field with a hoe and take and put away all the little pebbles and dig up the weeds. Then you come with the plough. The plough is pulled by oxen. It's only got one blade on it. It's not like the ploughs we have behind our tractors today. One furrow at a time. And then after all that labour, we're talking days and days and days now for a single field, the seed must be brought. There it is in the barn. It's to be put in sacks, loaded onto donkeys, brought to the field, unloaded, put into smaller sacks. And now I must walk up and down the field, broadcasting, as they say, sowing the seed up and down and up and down and up and down. I start in the morning and I work through to the evening and it's hot and it's hard and it's difficult and it's discouraging, and Jesus says, that's how the kingdom of God extends, because there is a divine connection between work and achievement. God established that connection. There is a divine connection between sowing and reaping. No sowing, no reaping. No sowing, no harvest. No harvest, no bread. Human effort. And that's the way it's always been in the long and wonderful history of the Christian church. As you go up and down Wales, you'll see in every little village a chapel or two or more. Many of them today are empty. Some of them are places which sell carpets or other things, antique shops, potteries. But the fact is that there were, the day was in Wales when there were chapels which had people in, in every community. How did they get there? Why did people build them? Why did people sacrifice enormous sums of their personal money to put the chapels up? Many of them were built by the poor. Because people travel throughout Wales on foot, sometimes on horse, under the rain, in the mist, through the snow, through the long summers, preaching the gospel. It was a lot of effort. And they made sure that every part of Wales heard the word. Preachers got together and organized their own groups of preachers to reach this place and this place and this place and this place. And God blessed it. 
and the nation was evangelized and vast numbers of people came into the kingdom of God. And it's exactly what Jesus said. There's such a thing as the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is extended by human effort. No labor, no harvest. Now here's the third basic. Nonetheless, the kingdom of God will not be extended by human effort unless God himself blesses that effort. It's, this is not the only parable in this chapter. There's another one, for example, starts in verse 26. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Now then, can you sow seed? Yes. Can you make the seed germinate? Can you do that? No. And if it doesn't germinate, there's no harvest. As a child, I was always amazed at seeds. I used to take one from time to time, usually a conch or something like that, something rather large, and put it in water or in some shallow soil to see what would happen. And do you know, if the stalk comes out the bottom, it turns around and it goes up. Isn't that amazing? And as so the root comes out of the top, it turns around and it goes down. Isn't that amazing? Can you make it do that? And by the way, this explains what conversion is. The preacher arrives and he talks about repentance. That's the seed. And then the seed reproduces itself. It germinates and comes to life in a human life. And as he preaches about repentance, somebody repents. But why does the seed germinate? Because God blesses it. That's why we read there in verse 27, the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Ladies and gentlemen, if God does not bless the seed which we sow, nothing will happen. We sow the seed, God blesses the seed. We talk of repentance, someone repents. We talk of faith, someone believes. We talk of closing in on Christ, somebody does. It becomes a living reality in a human life. We talk about loving God and someone bursts with affection for him. It's a work of God going on in the soul through the seed which a human voice has sown. That's why we have prayer meetings. That's why the officers of this church pray together before services. Without the blessing of God, there is nothing. If you don't attend the prayer meeting, or don't want to attend the prayer meeting, 
The only reason can be that you don't want God to be glorified in the conversion of men and women and children. Or you believe that mechanically, just by sowing the seed, there will be conversions. There won't. We've got to have the blessing of God. And if someone ever asks you the question, what is the greatest need of the Church of Jesus Christ today? The answer is this. The greatest need of the Church of Jesus Christ today is the blessing of God. Without him we can do nothing, and unless he gives life to the seed, nothing will happen. So there's such a thing as the kingdom of God is extended by human effort, it really is, but that effort, that effort comes to nothing unless God blesses it. Now number four. Human effort must therefore be channeled to the sowing of the word. That's what we read, isn't it? The sower, verse 14, the sower sows the word. There, nothing else is the life-giving seed. This should be actually very encouraging to us. Sometimes you meet an unbeliever and they, you get into a bit of a discussion and they're far cleverer than you are and they out-argue you and you think, we'll never get anywhere. And you're right. I'm not saying we shouldn't debate with unbelievers. Some t people need to be brought to the point where they'll listen to the word of God. But nobody's saved by a debate Nobody's saved by an intellectual argument showing the reasonable nature of the Christian faith. It might bring them to listen to it, but it won't actually convert them. Nobody's saved by pleading or patient or great patience. Nobody is saved by us finding the, the tactic which will work for the 21st century. If anyone's converted at all, it will always be the same way. The word has been sown in their lives and God has blessed it. So we must get the word into people's lives. The word. Now, are you capable of telling the truth? Yes. Do you need special training to learn how to tell the truth? No. So tell them the truth. Tell them the truth of God's word. If you can't do it with your mouth, then do it with a letter, or a tract, or an internet site, or a recording, or, but whatever you do, whatever you do, get the Bible into people's minds. What should we teach our children? The Bible, all the Bible. Don't just teach them that it's so many miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Teach them also that there's a great distance between God and the human heart. Teach them about their sin. Teach them about the Savior. Teach them about the way of salvation. Teach them. It's the word that God must bless for there to be conversions. And our efforts must be directed and channeled and focused on the planting of the word. Now sometimes... 
Church officers, church members have decisions to make. Someone makes the suggestion that maybe the church could do this or this or this or this. And you think, is that a good idea? Or is it a bad idea? Well, ask this question. What place does this activity give to the sowing of the word? And if you can't easily answer that question, then that's not an activity for the Christian church. Even the acts of mercy which are done by the early church are accompanied by the spreading of the word. So that's the fourth thing. There's such a thing as the kingdom of God. It's extended by human effort. That human effort gets nowhere unless God blesses it. And human effort must be focused on the sowing of the word. Now, number five. Our human effort will know lots of frustration and disappointment. That's what the parable's about. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. Verse 15, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So you're a Sunday school teacher. You pray for the children that you teach. You pray for them by name. You pray for them every day. You remember their birthdays. You get to know their parents if you don't know them already. You're concerned about these boys and girls. You teach them a lesson. And the next week you say, what did we learn last week? And there's a silence. They honestly can't remember. That's really discouraging. A neighbour of mine once came into my house, sat down with me and my wife and asked questions about the Christian faith for an hour or two and we answered his questions. Then we lost touch with him for a little while because he, he was a sailor, he was away for long periods. And the next time we met him, we had a lovely chat with him. He had no recollection of that afternoon. That's, that's massively discouraging, isn't it? Jesus said, this will happen. But there's worse than that. We're 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. I was converted when, just before I was 15 began witnessing at school. One lunchtime, a friend of mine said, I'd like to know more about the Christian faith. Could we talk about it? So we spent many a lunchtime talking about the faith. We found a place where we weren't interrupted and we talked about it, sometimes with an open Bible. Eventually he said, I really want to be a Christian. I was thrilled, wouldn't you be? I've been a Christian long myself, and here's a friend saying, I want to become a Christian. It was wonderful. 
told the church about it. A few months later, my friend says to me, I didn't know the Christian life would be like this. I said, what do you mean? He says, haven't you noticed what the other folk at school are calling me now? I didn't know the Christian faith would be like that. And besides, my, my parents don't understand. They, they think I've, I've lost it. They think I've gone off my head. I, I don't think I want anything more to do with it, really. And that's the way it was, and that's the way it still is. How do you feel when you're a young Christian? Someone shows an interest in the Christian faith. They give every sign that they've become a Christian. And then a few months down the road, they walk away and say they don't want anything more to do with it. How, how do you feel about that? Jesus said that'll happen. Regularly. But it's worse than that. Look at verse 18. These are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and listen, 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 and the desires for other things. Entering in. Choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So a man comes to Christ, he's baptized and joins the church, he starts becoming an active Christian, after some time he becomes a church officer, sometimes a pastor, which is why I don't like looking at the photographs of ministers' conferences. Because they bring tears to many an eye. Because you look at the photograph and remember the conference and the happy times we had together, but this one's walked out on the faith, and this one's died now, but he died far from the Lord, and this one's walked out on the faith, and this one is opposing the faith. It'll happen, says Jesus. And there are people who profess Christ and they see a change in their life, but they've not actually been changed into a new creation. But our eyes can't tell that. And they appear to be making progress and they win our confidence, and sometimes they become our teachers. And then, then, they walk out on it all. And we're left bewildered, and perplexed, and broken-hearted, and tearful. And Jesus said it would be like that. In other words, Almost everything we do is a waste of time. There are many joys in the Christian faith. There are many tears in the Christian faith. There are many times where we dance with a sheer wonder of it all. And there are many times when we sob in the night and our cheeks are burning with the touch of the tears as they run down. 
because of the disappointments and the frustrations. We've sown the seed and sown the seed and some can't remember and some walk out on it soon and some of our most promising people bring public shame on the gospel because they walk out of it later. And if it wasn't for the Bible, we would sink. But Jesus told it would be like that, told us. This emphasizes, by the way, doesn't it, the need for us to, for a real divine work to go on in the heart. It underlines the fact that we must keep praying, keep praying, and keep praying for each other. Well, that wouldn't be a good place to stop the sermon, would it? So let's go on, shall we? Here's number six. But, number six. The kingdom of God is extended by human effort. Mm -hmm. Such a thing as the kingdom of God is extended by human efforts. The human effort must know the divine blessing and it must focus on sowing the, the seed of the word of God and we're going to know plenty of frustration and disappointment. But number six, if we keep sowing and keep sowing and keep sowing, we shall see a harvest. It's certain. Look at verse 20. These are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit. And it's wonderful. Sow the seed, sow the seed, sow the seed. Be prepared for the heartbreak. But be prepared also for the harvest, because there will be one. Wherever the word is sown, wherever the gospel is preached, wherever the great message of Christ and his cross is proclaimed, there will be true conversions. There will be. The devil is strong and clever. Christ is stronger and all-wise. The human heart is wicked and resisting. The grace of God is sovereign and can overcome the worst heart and transform the worst sinner. Harvest is certain if we sow the seed. And that's what keeps me going. And I hope that's what will keep you going. Especially on those heartbreaking moments when you're sobbing in the night and you think, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Yes, it is worth it. There will always be some harvest if we keep at this great task which the Saviour has commissioned us to do. But I said there'd be seven basics because the best is yet to come. Look at the end of verse 20. Verse 20, these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit. Some, 30-fold, some, 60, 
and some a hundred. The final point is this. There are more joys to the Christian life than soul winning. Someone comes to Christ when the word comes alive in their hearts. But in some people, the word of God reproduces itself to a greater degree. So that little seed, there it is. There's the stalk, there's the ear, and there's 30 seeds. You only sowed one, but it's reproduced itself to a great degree. And now there's 30. We won't just see some people come to Christ we'll see that they actually have fruitful Christian lives. They start resembling the Lord Jesus Christ. We see Jesus in them. We see all the great qualities of the Christian life as found in the scriptures actually being reproduced in a boy or a girl or a woman or a man. But some, 60, so by sowing the seed, we don't just see conversions. We don't just see wonderful lives. We see eminent Christians. Think of it. One little seed. There's the stalk. Now there's various ears. And there's 60 grains now where you only sowed one. And you spoke a word about Christ. And now you... You see this lovely Christian blossoming and fruitful and Christ-like and meek and gentle and loving and righteous and prayerful and consecrated. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But it's better than that. Some. A hundred. Think of that. I knew a theological student years ago who helped on a, on a mission in a Welsh village. And he noticed that one very dirty boy, very, very dirty boy, was particularly attentive. So when, when he went back to where he lived, the theological student wrote a little card to the boy and said, now the mission's over. It doesn't mean that you can't hear anymore. You know, there's a... There's a weekly meeting down in the chapel on Friday evening, half past six. Why don't you go? And the boy did. Very soon the boy won the hearts of the people who ran that children's meeting. They began to pray for him. And with the parents' permission, they, he was taken on holiday to a, a Christian family holiday where he was converted. Great that, isn't it? There's the seed sown. Became a lovely Christian, went into a profession when he grew up. And then the tug of the heart was from the Lord that he should give himself to the, the gospel ministry. And today he's the pastor of the chapel where the children's meeting was held and well known for his lovely, fruitful Christian life and loved by people all around as the local ambassador of Jesus Christ. 
How do you think the people feel who ran that children's meeting? How do you think they feel? How do you think the theological student who wrote that little card feels when they see a gospel minister, a faithful gospel minister, an eminent Christian, and it all came to pass because God in his kindness blessed the seed and it grew 30-fold, 60-fold, a hundredfold. And as we sow the seed, we'll see conversions, we'll see Christ-like people, we'll see missionaries, we'll see ministers, we'll see wonderful representatives of the Christian faith in the sciences and in the arts and in public life, all because the seed was sown by a hard human effort and God blessed it. So why on earth have I preached this message? Because we must not be discouraged. We've just got to get at it. Get that word out there. Praying for God's blessing. Are you prepared to weep? You'll need to prepare for that. It's going to happen. Are you prepared to break your heart? That's going to happen. Are you prepared for the joy of the soul winner? That's going to happen. Are you prepared for the fact that God will so bless a word spoken by a man or a woman or a child that the long-term consequences will be exemplary Christians thrust out into the Lord's work? Are you prepared for that? It's going to happen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to thank you for your condescension that you would use ordinary men and women like us to bring about your harvest. We thank you for this wonderful marriage of human effort and your blessing. We pray you'll focus our minds Give us compassion for the lost people who are all around us. Give us flair and initiative as to how we can get the word into their lives. Give us perseverance and prayer in all the discouragements and disappointments and setbacks. Give us expectancy that with the eye of faith we may see the coming harvest and by your grace then indeed see it. And we look forward, Lord, to the last day when all history is wound up and to meeting on a better shore believers who have come to Christ through your grace but through our instrumentality. We thank you, Lord, for your call to us to be in your work. We pray you'll bless this church in all its efforts to spread the gospel. And we pray you'll bless us also in our individual efforts, especially with family and friends and neighbours. And we all long, Lord, and pray that we may hear at last the Saviour say, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. Hear our prayer, Lord, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand and sing. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves. It's 450. We'll stand and sing, and then we'll remain standing for the benediction. This benediction comes from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>